0: Hi, and welcome to This Full Life, a platform dedicated to inspirational conversation, courageous individuals and my desire to learn more about the world I live in. I'm Tara Davis. I'm so excited to bring you my guest, Revital Sherry Horowitz. and. She and I have talked uh, previously before this interview to just kind of connect, and I got off of that conversation. I was immediately enthralled with her life story, and so I've been so looking forward to bringing this conversation and this interview to you, and so I'm going to give you just a little bit of background on Rita Tall, and then I'm going to let her do all the talking because she eloquently Speaks of her life and her journey, which is just an incredible story. So, let me give you just a little bit of her background. So, she was born in Israel uh, and grew up at the age of 10, started writing poems, started her journal. She served in the Israeli Defor- Defense Force, um, studied in Tel Aviv, and earned her bachelor's degree in Hebrew at the university. Uh, let's see after graduating spent years in London with her husband, returned to Israel, studied for a master's in geography and teaching, moved to Seattle, moved back to Israel while in Israel studied for a second master's in Hebrew literature at Tel Aviv University and began writing her first book, Daughters of Iraq moved. After three and a half years, moved back to the U.S. for the second time, where she had her fourth son, wrote her second book, Hope to See You Soon, returned with her family twice more to Israel, and is now in the United States. So, welcome, 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 Revital, to This Full life. I'm so excited to have you today.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here, too. Thank you, Tara, for hosting me.
0: You are so welcome. And so... When we first started talking, I was, um, you know, just smitten by listening to everything that you had to say, but what immediately caught my attention was that you served in the army. And so, tell us about that. How old were you?
1: Uh, So, service uh, in Israel for women and men is mandatory. So, when I I graduated high school, I was 18, I joined the Israeli Defense Force, and um, served for two and a half years. Uh, I did a special program, which was uh, quite um, interesting. And I always think about it as one of the most uh, important experiences in my life. Mm-hmm. And I always, when I think about it, I always think that I got more than I gave. Uh, and-
0: so are you, uh, is it mandatory that you serve a certain amount of time, or was it just two years for you?
1: Uh, it's mandatory to serve two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a, on a special program, so it was two and a half years. Uh, people who become officers, etc., serves serve more. Men serves a little more than women. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you start with two, and you can have
0: a huge career in the Army. What was your experience in there?
1: So I was, uh, I was involved uh, very much with a youth group, and we went together and did a service where you can be with your friends. And um, some of the service we served in a kibbutz, which is um, a joint community. Um, some of the service I served on the borders between Jordan and Israel um And that was quite an experience. Um, and we moved every six months to a different experience, where we went to the we were at the border between Gaza and Israel. Uh, we were in Jordan, and we were in the south of Israel, between it's there is a point that's actually the southest kibbutz in the world, and it sits just next to a which is the south point of Israel. So it it sits just on the border between Jordan, Egypt, and Israel. So it was quite interesting.
0: And tell me again a kibbutz.
1: So kibbutz is a joint community. It's actually, it came from communism. Uh, it was um, when Israel, when, when Jews uh, returned, even before... There were waves of Jews immigrating to Israel in the 18th, 19th century. Uh, there were settlers, and uh, there were there were always the small areas, the cities, where Jews lived in, uh, like Jerusalem, ancient ones, Fat, um, uh, Tiberia, uh, more like the most holy areas Mm. uh, where Jews lived throughout uh, history but Jews started immigrating to Israel in small quantities and uh, they wanted to live in um, equal um, uh, society Mm. so men and women uh, established um, new uh, places called kibbutz where men and women worked side by side and had kids and raised them there. Um, And even today, you can find lots of kibbutzim around uh, Israel, but it has changed uh, during uh, 150 years Mm. to be in there.
0: Yeah. And you know what? When you and I... um spoke as well the first time. You shared a lot about your childhood, which I don't want to skip over because that's such a big piece of your writing um, and your, your three books and your upcoming fourth book. And you told me that you still have PTSD. So give us a snapshot. Give us some of your um, childhood, your experiences growing up in Israel.
1: So I think I always say that everybody who were raised in Israel has... Uh, PTSD, because every few years uh, there is a war. When I was two, it was six days war. When I was eight, it was um, uh, 73 war, 1973 war. Um, and I remember as an eight-year-old that all outdoors lights were colored in blue, so the enemy. If they come with airplanes, they won't see that there is um, there are people actually living in the area. When if they want to bomb, they won't see it. I remember lots of sirens. Um, it's it's all over. And then you know um, after that, it was Lebanon wars, two of them. And it's throughout the history of Israel that Israel has struggled. Uh, just to keep uh, existing and keep its uh, uh, citizens safe, and and then you know suicide bombers um, bombing buses. I remember when I had young kids, I was always nervous even sitting in my car with my kids next to buses. I didn't even want to ride buses. Even today, going to crowded places, I get a little nervous. Mm. Um, So I can only talk for myself, speak for myself, but I believe that all of us have uh, PTSD. Of
0: some sort, right?
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so
0: as a child and during these different wars, where were you? Like literally, where were you when these bombings were going on? Were you in your home? Did you have shelters?
1: Yeah, we had shelters. Of course, we had shelters. So, yes, we went to shelters when there was bombing. We went to shelters, definitely. Mm. I remember the, chateau, the shelter when I was eight. I remember such a stinky one. <laughs> <laughs> and how long were you there? It was fun for us as kids because everybody went downstairs to the shelter and we spent the night there. It was fun. But you know, as an adult, you look at it, it's so.
0: Not so much. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, I'm sure as a child, it could have been looked at as an adventure.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Mm. And how long would you be there?
1: It's probably, I remember I don't know, a few hours, and then you can go
0: back home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And so, so you joined the military. Yeah. After the military, what? Okay, so after
1: the military, I went went back to school. I went to Tel Aviv University and indeed I double majored in uh, Hebrew literature and geography. I loved school so much. I really enjoyed it. And then my husband and me met and we spent a year in London. That was quite um, a year for me because I remember how shocked I was that people speak about the weather people speak about what they did last weekend and what they're gonna do next weekend because in israel everybody were speaking all the time about what's going on um, around the borders what's going on inside israel what's going on i mean just you know existing and Mm. in, in the beginning i remember i thought oh my god conversations here are so shallow and then I caught myself thinking, oh, we are the people who are living the life we should not live. I mean, we should speak about the weather and we should speak about having fun and not be bothered with everything around us uh, that happens on everyday life. Mm. So life in Israel is always stressful. Israel is beautiful. It's fantastic. The people there are welcoming and warm and nice, and every piece of Israel has history, and I warmly recommend uh, uh, traveling there, exploring the place. Um, I know that everyone I I recommended just fell in love with Israel, so uh, go travel, (laughs) explore.
0: And so it's interesting that there was such a different dichotomy of life in London from your way of living in Israel. I mean, to the point of a culture shock for you.
1: Definitely a culture shock.
0: Mm-hmm. It,
1: was, uh, it was a year that really put me in perspective of how people live in other areas, of course, you not know, traveled areas. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was interesting and I really enjoyed it very, very much. I could focus on myself. I could focus on my husband. I could focus on our daily life and routines. And it was nice. It was really nice. No stress.
0: No stress, which is what I was just going to say. It's so interesting because, um, you know, my husband has served in many wars and he can relate to you. And I'm thinking in my own mind, I say this humbly, but I've lived such that- a privileged life in that I have not experienced what you have experienced in that um that horror and that fear for my life like i I don't have that experience, and so I'm listening to you, I cannot relate, I can completely empathize, but I cannot relate to having that childhood, a childhood like that um, where I was in fear of if I was going to live or not.
1: Right. I think for me, it was even harder when I became a mother, Hmm. um, protecting my kids. Uh, It was really hard for me. Um, My responsibility was first for their lives, then for mine. So I had to think, I remember at one point, I had to think when we went back to Israel and lived there for three and a half years, I had to think what, Israel is was the greatest value of my life, that place. And I remember that I I rethought it. What's more important, my kids' lives or the country I love? Mm. So I, I don't think anyone should go and have to choose. I mean, uh, I think it's really unnormal for the for the society to think this way, you know? Yeah. And people do live in Israel and do raise kids and, uh, and it's fine. But there is also so many people who lost their kids in wars and suicide bombers, bombing. So it's, it's like, it's not what? easy, it's complicated.
0: What took you back? I mean, you went back three times. Right. What kept taking you back even with your children?
1: To Israel? Uh, Israel is my homeland. I mean, uh, I was born there, I was raised there, I write mostly in Hebrew. Uh that's the my the main everybody asks, how when do you dream at night? In which language do you dream? <laughs> so yeah. Um uh, there is even a song about it which is very there's a nice song about an immigrant who came to Israel, but at night, late, late at night, he's, he still dreams in Spanish. So for me, uh, I dream now in Hebrew and in English. Um, it depends on the dream, but um, this is this is the core. Um, I'm very grateful. Uh, to the place I live in. Mm. I'm very grateful uh, every day to the fact that I live a comfortable, not stressful life. And I really appreciate what I have, but I'm sorry, (laughs) I don't know. My heart belongs there, I don't know. Right, My heart belongs there. And your family. always
0: will. Yep, and you have your family, your extended family is still there, yes? right and friends mm-hmm. lots of friends yes
1: right yes
0: and so let's transition into your first book okay yeah let's talk about that what brought your desire to start writing books and how did this one come about
1: okay so uh that was a late career i went to school for so many years studied for many degrees became a mother and I still, and I, I taught also, I was a teacher. And I still didn't know what I want to do when I grow up. When I turned 38, I did uh, my master's degree in Hebrew literature in Tel Aviv University. And um, I focused on women's studies. And um, one day I came home and I was pretty upset about the way our professors spoke about Jewish women who came from Arab lands, and to those who who do not who are not very familiar with Jewish population, Jewish population came to Israel from all over the world. There were uh, um, there was a big Jewish population in Europe. You know, six million were murdered in the Holocaust, and um, and there were also Jews in Arab lands. And my parents came to Israel from Iraq. And um, I was upset on how she spoke about the women who came from Iraq uh, to Israel uh, being simple and um, very much uh, listening to the men in the family, not having their own voices. And for me, it was so weird, because my family in my family, nobody really experienced such a thing. Mm. Uh, I didn't like the way she, she put that in her this lady who wrote about a story about uh, a character who came from her land and I didn't like the way she put that in her in her book so I spoke to my aunt who's also a poet and I called her and asked and said how frustrated I am with that and I said how come nobody uh, wrote our family story Uh, it's It's about time somebody will do that. And she said, I totally agree with you. She said, why don't you write it? And I said, me? I'm not an author. So everything started then. And I'm very stubborn. (laughs) You can ask my husband about that. (laughs) Um, I thought, hmm, I'm not. She said, I think you should start. I'll help you a little bit. So we started together. And then I found myself. Uh, putting another chapter another chapter and another chapter and after five years it became a book that uh, wow. speaks about women actually and I know lots of men read that too but it's also, it's about the in, life in Iraq for Jews uh, the Zionist movement, uh, Holocaust what happened to Jews in, in the Holocaust there, uh, it's a fiction so it's not heavy, it's not but you learn the history facts uh, after Israel was established. My grandfather, for example, worked for the Iraqi government, was laid off from his job. All the Jews were laid off from the jobs in the government. After Israel was established, they were treated as spies. So he waited for two years for his turn to leave Iraq, and, uh, and he moved to Israel, and Jews who moved to Israel. Had to leave everything behind. They couldn't sell their homes. They were not allowed to carry any jewelries, no photos, no money. Uh, A little suitcase where they checked everything, and they had just, I think, few of clothing, few clothing, that's it. Really, nothing else. Nothing else. So my family doesn't have pictures. They were able to take one picture, which is on the cover of my book. And you can see my uncle, my oldest uncle, who is now 89, and my aunt, who is 86, and my mom, who's 80. No, my aunt is 87 almost, and my mom who's 85. So um, maybe one or two pictures. That's it. That's that's what they were they were able to to take out. Uh, so I want people to learn about that mm. and to learn about what happened in Israel because it was. A newly established country. People had to live in tents for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the journey. The journey the Jews took when they immigrated to Israel. Even Holocaust survivors who moved to Israel, you know, they've been through the Holocaust. They lost most of them lost all their families or most of their families, and they came to to a newly established country to a really tough life too.
0: Mm. I mean, money. Did what money did they bring with them?
1: who the Holocaust they, survivors nothing
0: yeah. well when they immigrated to Israel they had nothing
1: nothing nothing so Israel was established and uh, the economy started building and I know there were lots of donations from Jews around the world from America for I think the most mm-hmm. uh, helped establish Israel and support Israel and they are still donating to Israel lots of money <sighs>
0: And so it leads me there now I'm super curious because I haven't read your second book, Hope to See You Soon. And these are letters back and forth, correct?
1: Uh, it's, it's written in three layers. One layer is re- letters written between two best friends. One lives in Tel Aviv. One of them lives in Tel Aviv. The other one immigrated to Seattle and they write each other. Um, one layer is this story of of the one who moved to Seattle about what happens to her in Seattle uh, about the immigration process about being divided between two homelands and I'm not gonna dis- to, to, I'm not going to spoil <laughs> what happens next, but yes, so uh, it's written in three layers like childhood and then a perspective of letters and perspective of the woman who, who tells the story.
0: And what, so I I haven't even got to ask on on this one, what brought you into writing this book, your second book? Uh,
1: My second book was written because I always felt like immigrants are divided. Mm. Uh, and I, I did not see many books uh, addressing that issue of being divided. I mean, even when you move to a new place and you like your life and you appreciate where you live, you still have something in your heart to the place you were born in. And, um, and uh, for example, in the Israeli community, if somebody goes back to Israel for a visit, Everybody envies them. Oh, I wish you could go there now. Oh, you're gonna do you're gonna eat all the great foods. Restaurants are awesome in Israel. You're gonna go to the beach. Beaches are fantastic. Uh, you're gonna see your family, you're gonna see your friends. And people who live in Israel always I had the feeling that they envy all the people who live abroad. Oh, you live in America, you must be rich. <laughs> must be having the best life ever, easy life, no army service, you don't need to, I don't know, it's easier, easier life, so we envy you. So I wanted to balance it a little bit and show that actually, you know what, it's not 100% anywhere, and what we really need to focus in life is just being happy and appreciating what we have. It doesn't matter where we live. Mm.
0: I agree with you. And it's so interesting that we always think the grass is greener on someone else's yard, right? That's exactly. Right.
1: <laughs> that's exactly how I put it. <laughs> the grass is greener on the other side.
0: Yeah. And so and amongst writing these books, so you kept, you continue to move back and forth. Yeah. And you've got four boys now. I do. And so you now have a third book.
1: Yes. That's my new book. And this is the one Who actually has my soul and heart in Hmm. and and, okay so about six years ago my mom came for a visit and that visit was so hard for me Um, it was mirroring uh, things I've seen throughout my life but I didn't really understand Um, I saw a behavior that was very extremely painful for me and um, after she left um, my husband encouraged me to go and see a psychologist and when I just sat on her sofa speaking for 10 minutes she said, oh you're a daughter of a narcissistic mother, here take a few books, go read about it. And that opened a Pandora box. Mm. Um, and also I owe, I'm very grateful to her. Um, because To her, she, the
0: psychiatrist or your mother?
1: The, the psychologist and uh, And actually later very, I read Kerr Mc McBride's book, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? And I went to two workshops with her. She specialized in daughters of narcissistic mothers, and I always say to her um, how she saved my life, I always thank her, because she did. I mean, it's not that I would have killed myself, it's just that the quality of life for me is way better than it used to be before. I understand things.
0: So let's talk about a narcissistic mother. What is narcissism? What's that personality? What does that look like?
1: So narcissism, the main uh, issue for narcissism is that they do not see anyone but themselves. So if you are a daughter of a narcissistic, you are like their hand. Um, There are no boundaries. There is no empathy, zero empathy. Um, They focus on themselves. Uh, it, everything has to do with them
2: mm.
1: if they're not in the center they will do everything in their power to become the center it doesn't matter in which expense I mean what, what price other people will have to pay
0: and I think um, from reading if I remember correctly um, that attention that, that desire and that need to be the center of attention it can even be negative attention it doesn't have
1: definitely. to be attention Definitely, yes. It doesn't ha- It doesn't matter what kind of uh, of attention, uh, as long as the <coughs> as it is attention.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: it can be negative. It can be positive. It doesn't matter. They are very manipulative. Very manipulative. They will turn people against each other. Mm. It has to become in the center. It's a borderline illness. It's a mental illness. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, how did this affect you growing up? so when let me ask you this so when you went to the therapist and you had the realization that my mother was a narcissist and so growing up i mean it almost as if i can imagine that someone you know lifted up a blind and you could then see your childhood for what it was and so how was that affecting you throughout your childhood
1: i went uh it took me a year and a half i went back in my memory in my head and i re read my life. Mm. Um, I looked at memories I had. I looked at things I was told. I look at things I was told about myself. I was, I, do, I, I, I looked again about at things that were told about my siblings to me from her uh, and about everything else in my life. Um, in that process, not only first, in the beginning of the process, you understand, you go back and you remember, you look back and you reread, and then you just mourn the child that you never had.
2: Mm.
1: So, and this is a long, painful process. I was never really a child that was loved because my mom didn't really know what love is. Mm. So, even thinking that, um, I didn't have real love in my life. I, like, I went through, why wasn't I deserving love? Is it me? Mm. Um, I know it's not. I know it's not me. I, knew, I know for sure I deserve to be loved. But it took some time and a process to understand that. Because I think there is a huge gap between the brain and the heart. It takes time to close all the gaps. And there were really huge gaps that had to be closed.
0: Right. And so, as you are going through therapy and realizing all of this and almost reliving your childhood again and consoling that little girl, what then sparked in you to write your latest book?
1: Okay. So, I. I started writing the book for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, when you put words, okay, I think I need to explain something. One of the things that is very problematic in a narcissistic environment is that the, parent, the people who are narcissistic, they shake your ground. If they shake your ground, they can control you. If you, they say that it's your imagination, like if I go to the post office with my mom and she lies, the clerk there, the person there, and, and I ask her, and he, he gives her what she wanted, okay? We get out of the post office, I say to my mom, mom, why did you have to lie? You would have gotten it anyway. She would say, it's just your imagination, I didn't lie. Okay, a, a little girl, thinks when she hears so many times that everything is her imagination, uh, she thinks that what she sees is actually not not true. true. Uh, What she feels is not true. If she feels hurt, um, it's not true. She's not hurt. She's not really hurt. Mm -hmm. When she's mad, she's not really mad. Every single feeling and every single thing gets shut off. So you're numbing your feelings,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're numbing your emotions, okay? And you're not listening to yourself. Like I can, you know, I don't know, flip. You know, I have, to <laughs> still today, I'm sorry to tell, like I can bump into a table and say, ouch. And forget about it and it's still painful, but right. I don't even feel the pain because you know it's been shut off. I, I, I taught myself to shut off even pain, physical and emotional. Okay. And then I see the bruising and I say, Oh, I did have it was painful indeed. <laughs>
0: Well, and it's interesting because um, last week I was doing a Facebook Live challenge on communication, and part of one of one of the days was learning what is underneath. And um, anger, for instance, there's you know there's a gazillion different emotions underneath that one piece of anger that, by and large, we're not really coached and taught to feel into our feelings and feel what that is. I mean, so I'm angry. But what does that mean? Is that betrayal? Is that, uh, you know, you know, I I came up with so many different emotions that we're not by and large taught to feel or to recognize. So then we numb out with whatever that is.
1: Exactly. This is what I meant. Mm
0: -hmm. So I started
1: writing and then very quickly I said, Oh my God, I'm writing for myself to make it really real because if I'm writing, I'm processing For me, writing is processing and really seeing everything in front of my eyes. But I started writing and then I said to my husband, you know, I think that I might write a book. (laughs) And he said, he said to me, I think it's a great idea. Why don't you you do that? Why don't you do that? So I started writing and I, 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 things just, you know, flow so quickly to the, to the paper, uh, it was so, such a quick book to write for me because it just, I was flooded, I was so flooded. Um, and then I said to myself, okay, so I'm writing my emotions but I also need to explain to people what it is, what it means, how it feels. So women and men who read that and have this thing in their life will understand that they can uh, really, uh, there is a solution for that thing who's very uh, painful. You can really heal yourself. But first, you have to explain what it is. Mm -hmm. And then you go through a a process of healing. And then, you know, you're good. You're okay. You're okay. There were so many moments in my life that I thought, why am I so messed up? You know, outside, I lived really regular lives. I'm married. Uh, I'm very optimistic. I'm not a depressed person. And I have four boys. And I have two dogs. And everything is great. And I write books. But deep in my heart, I had so many painful moments. Really, really painful that I wanted to die. I knew I wasn't going to do something about it. But I felt messed up and, and I, don't, interesting, I don't have it anymore
0: as, you know, as I read this book um, isn't that one of the classic pieces of narcissism is that internally and behind the closed doors everything is completely chaotic yet when you open that door there's a big smile and everything is outwardly perfect
1: exactly so yes what you show the world is so different what's inside closed doors Families who have narcissistic in them, <clears throat> the kids are dressed nicely. They can be dressed nicely. They can have smiling faces. They'll be nice and polite. Um, and you'll think that the, my mother is pretty sweet, very lively, very outgoing. But you don't see the dark sides. Mm. You just don't see them. They are hidden. Right.
0: And so going back through history, then. At what point did you realize that your mother then didn't receive what she needed as a child?
1: Uh, Very early when I read Terry McBride's book, she said she said a few things. One of them is narcissism usually does not come out of the blue It has the reasons for that. So my grandmother was a narcissist. She was a narcissist. Um, I knew she was a narcissist. Everybody knew that. She was a narcissist in a different way than my mom. Uh, But she was a very manipulating person, very. Uh, And um, the sad thing is I spoke to my aunt, my mom's uh, sister, about that. And I asked her really tough questions. First of all, I asked her, Uh, did you see anything? And she said, oh, yes, we all did. And then I asked her, so why didn't you do anything about it? She said, oh, I talked to your mom about it a few times, but she never listened. Okay, so people don't do really something about it. And the third thing she said to me when I told her, yeah, I know that grandma was narcissist. I think she was worse than my mom. She said, oh, no, she was a piece of cake compared to your mom." <sighs> and I, I suspect my aunt is a little narcissistic too, in a different way. But she's not very empathic. So, uh,
0: how did this affect yeah, your relationship hard. with your? Yeah, and how did this affect your relationship with your siblings? Because I can't imagine that's there. It probably separates you.
1: So from a very young age, I wasn't close to them. Um, I don't keep in touch with them. Don't, they don't keep in touch with me. When my book was published in the US, my brother found out that it was published. And actually my, bo- my book is published now in, in Israel. And I self-published it because my brother threatened the publisher to sue them um, for telling lies and uh, um, the publisher decided he doesn't want to go to court with anyone so he backed off and uh, I told him you know what? I'm going to publish it anyways nobody will scare me that's that's the end of it people threatened me scared me manipulated me I'm not willing to handle it anymore It's really hard. It's really hard to be that strong person
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, while you're being bullied, while you're being manipulated, lied to, everything. I I always felt as a little kid that I'm trying to open this curtain. What is the truth? What is the truth? What is the truth? And I thought everybody is like this. I didn't understand it was me.
0: (sighs) Wow. And as a child, then, you have learned, amongst everything that you learn, one of the things is t- that you have no trust within yourself, correct? Like, you don't know how to trust yourself.
1: You don't know how to trust yourself. You don't know how to trust your feelings. You don't know how to listen to your feelings. You don't know what your feelings are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. You have to build that self-confidence. Uh, from scratch, um, slowly, 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 and become the woman I want to be, you know?
0: Which was perfect, because that's what I was going to ask you was, and so now as an adult, now how does this affect you on an everyday basis? What do you see every day, or maybe you don't even see things every day that came from your childhood, or that you just recognize from childhood?
1: Okay, so uh, I want to mention something as a mother. Um, as a mother, um, I always asked myself twice a day at least if I forgot anything, if I missed anything, if I didn't see anything about my kids, if I covered all their needs, if I addressed all the things they needed that day, Mm. Uh, my oldest son always laughs and said, I really overdid it. <laughs> I know I overdid it. I overdid it definitely. I mean, I. it came to the point where I think that I didn't really teach my kids how to um, um, live their own lives uh, without being protected. Mm. It's not healthy for adult kids. It's not healthy. They need to start from zero and find their way. And we're still, you know, supporting, backing, helping. And I sometimes tell my husband, you know what? We should back off a little bit and let them figure it out. And sometimes he tells me that. (laughs) Uh,
0: So it's your own pendulum that you're still learning with.
1: I am, definitely. And I know I I did lots of mistakes and I know I still do mistakes um, every single day. um, Where and I can, people say to me, how do you know you're different than your mom? Mm. Are you narcissistic? In interviews, people ask me that. And uh, I had to take a second and think about it and tell them, uh, narcissism, you know, is a, it's a chart. It's, it's not, there is, it's not no narcissistic at all and narcissistic, uh, fully narcissistic. Sometimes we are all a little narcissistic, Mm. In, some, in, in, in some way but it's it's a range um, I, I don't think I'm really bad narcissistic because I know I'm not perfect I know there are so many things I can do way better and I ask myself questions all the time where a narcissist knows that they are the best people ever <laughs> you know all the answers to all the questions. Um, I'll give you an example, a very painful one for me. Um, when my mother came for a visit that time, uh, we were laying uh, on the couches reading books next to each other, and she lifted her head suddenly from her book, and she said to me, I don't think I ever hurt anyone on this planet, Ever. Really, I choked. I mean, who would say something like this? We all know that we make mistakes. Right. We all know that we hurt people, especially the one we loved and we loved. It's it's mandatory. We're human. It's okay.
0: It's our learning process. It's a
1: learning process, but we are not God. We're not narcissistic, right? We're doing, we're doing our best. We can only do our best. That's it. Mm.
0: Be good enough, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a journey for you. Yeah. Wow. And so, if I'm correct, you had said in our last conversation that you were... Are you already on book four, or it's just a thought process?
1: I... Started. I wrote uh, a few chapters, so it's. I'm still thinking about it, and um, I started writing. It's a Holocaust survivors uh, book based on my uncle's story mm. that I
0: started writing. And, because there uh, are very few survivors left
1: uh, no Yes, definitely. This one, my uncle is still is still alive. He's 85. He's deaf. He had uh, blood cancer. He is blind. He sees only from the sides of his eyes, but he's still alive and he's still speak to me. And I always listen to his stories and I love him dearly. So yeah, I want to write the story.
0: Mm -hmm. It needs to be told.
1: It needs to be told. Yeah, see, uh, he had a very unique story. He was born in Poland and uh, they escaped to Russia and their journey there. Mm. But they survived, most of them survived. Mm. Some of them died because of diseases and the freezing temperatures, but uh, most of them survived. Mm. So his story is really interesting.
0: Thank you for sharing today.
1: Thank you. Go get my book, it's <laughs> Your Imagination.
0: It's yes, I was just- everywhere. Yes, so give us a plug. Give us your website and give us, again, the names of your three books.
1: Okay, my first book is um, Daughters of Iraq. Uh, My second is Hope to See You Soon. And my third is It's Just Your Imagination. And I'm Revital Shiri Horowitz. Go look for me. Look at my website, www.revitalr.ev.i.t.s.t.a.l.-s.h dot com thank you Tara I really thank appreciate you. that
0: and so we can also find your books uh, well I know we can find your last one on Amazon I think the other two are on Amazon as well yes they are yes. so all three are on Amazon
1: all three are there and I would love to hear back from all my readers I always uh, write my readers they, when they write me I always write back so please write me mm.
0: thank you so much for you. chatting with me today
1: thank you Tara
0: Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to my producer, Margaret Spencer. You can learn more at terradavis.me. Catch this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Any information we talked about today will be in our show notes. And while you're listening, be sure to click on the subscribe button so you'll always have the latest episode ready to go. I'll see you right here next week.